Shalom, this is Reverend John Ferret, and we are in Lesson 89 of the Genesis study, the continuing Genesis study, in the series that is called The Gospel According to Moses. So in these studies, since Lesson 83, we're focusing in on Joseph of the Many-Colored Coat. And I have mentioned in previous lessons about a book that I really believe you got to have. It's written by Elchanan ben Avraham, Elchanan ben Avraham, who is a Messianic Jewish believer in Israel. A matter of fact, a Messianic Jewish Bible scholar. And his book is called Mashiach ben Yosef, or Messiah, the son of Joseph. Scholars certainly have discovered that Joseph of the many-colored coat is a paradigm, which means a model. He's a prototype of the Messiah. The rabbi started discovering this early on in the Middle Ages, but it's become so apparent to us who are Christians and Jewish Messianic believers. Joseph is a prototype of Messiah Jesus. The connection is just too awesome. Elhanan ben Avraham's book, Mashiach ben Yosef, details this from chapter 37 of Genesis to chapter 50. And he really goes into amazing detail. Matter of fact, let me quote just a few comments from his book. He says that the story of Yosef ben Yaakov, Joseph, the son of Jacob, Joseph of the many-colored coat, begins with chapter 37 of Genesis. He says, the form I will use in our discussion will be to examine this account chapter by chapter. What he means by the account is this connection between this mirror image of Joseph and Jesus. He's going to do this chapter by chapter. And at the same time, comparing a parallel account of the life of another son of Abraham, another son of Yaakov, Jacob, yes, Jesus, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of Jacob, a descendant of David. Jesus, an Israeli Jewish rabbi of the first century AD who has had the most profound effect on the history of individuals and nations since that time, obviously because Jesus had come to bring salvation to the entire world, Jew and Gentile alike. So he goes into the fact that he's going to make a parallel comparison between Genesis and the Gospel accounts. And his last statement in this paragraph I think is really good. I believe that as we examine the accounts of these two lives, in other words, Joseph and Jesus, side by side, we're going to discover striking parallels, striking it, it, they're awesome. They're striking. They're unbelievable. That I trust will not be without interest. I'm telling you, they are with extreme interest. Just amazing. So in this lesson, we're going to see more connections. And Like I said, this goes on chapter after chapter, paragraph after paragraph. No wonder Yahweh inspired Moses to tell the story of Joseph in 12 chapters. We have Joseph is 
Like Abraham, the only two characters in Genesis, were there 12 chapters devoted to each one? Quite amazing. And again, what God is trying to say is that Joseph prefigures Jesus. Wait till I show you. We'll be coming up to it. Where the nativity, the birth of Jesus, is predicted in the life of Joseph. Wait till you see that. Now also in Lesson 89, we're going to be looking at one specific verse. Genesis 39, verse 21, where it says, The Lord was with Joseph and granted him favor. This is related to another verse, verse 3 of chapter 39, where it talks about the Lord was with Joseph. And we're going to be looking at the concept of saved by grace. Clearly, Joseph did nothing to be rescued again and again. Joseph did nothing, nothing at all. But it was God's amazing grace poured upon this individual, Joseph, because he had a special plan for Joseph's life, not only to save Israel, but to save the entire world because of the famine that was about to come upon it. And he needed to save Israel because he had an ultimate purpose in mind, and that's the coming of the Messiah. That's the part of his redemption plan. So Joseph was chosen. And again and again and again, by God's amazing grace, he was saved and rescued and succeeded. But we're going to see that God goes deeper into our understanding of saved by grace. Joseph was chosen, just like each of us. We're saved by grace. Is that it? So we're saved by grace and chosen. There's so much more. So much more to this. We'll take a look at it in this section. So come and join us as we return to Egypt and we continue our saga of Joseph, of the many-colored coat of Joseph, the prototype of the Messiah. Last time, so as we're jumping in, just a quick review, Joseph is sold into slavery. He's 17 years old. He comes to the house of Potiphar. Potiphar is a big dude in Egypt. He's the captain of the guard, okay? This is big time, okay? From archaeology in Egypt, he is way, way up high in the administration of Pharaoh. Pharaoh knows this guy intimately, okay? Maybe he's like the secretary of defense, you know, in terms of our own administration. Now, Potiphar is not his name. Uh, it probably comes from the Hebrew Padi Para. Okay? Padi Para basically means Ra has given or Ra has brought me to life, something like that. Padi Para. Now, we remember that we had some, he has some trouble with uh, Mrs. Potiphar. Um, Mrs. Potiphar really liked Joseph. And if you recall last time, uh, the Hebrew is very unique for Joseph. Um, if you recall, he is the only man in the entire Bible, okay, that is, call, uh, that is basically good-looking and 
well put together. The short is, he's a hunk. What we read is, we're not going to go into the Torah yet, but we recall the story, Joseph runs, okay? And Mrs. Potiphar, and I, this is where I want to pick it up, Mrs. Potiphar, um, we want to recall exactly what happened. Let's see, um, I'm in, okay, I'm in verse 13. And I'm in Genesis 39, verse 13. And again, I'm reading from the, one of the best translations of the Hebrew text, the Jerusalem Bible from Koren Publishers. You would say this is a Jewish Bible, but no, it's the Bible. Uh, it's the Old Testament, okay? It's the Hebrew Scriptures. But it's one of the best from the Hebrew. So I'm in verse 13 of verse 39. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand. Now let me just stop there. Two things may have happened here. We don't know. It could be that he ran out uh, naked and he left his wrap, okay, around. That could be, all right? But Egyptian men also wore kind of a double piece of clothing. It was like a pant type of thing that was up down to their knees and also something almost like a coat or a jacket. Uh, even though it's warm, it's, it's the, the cover the top. So it could very well be that's what he left. We don't know. The, the Torah is silent. But the key is, regardless, clothing was left, so Mrs. Potiphar has got proof of something, right? So when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand it was, and fled outside, now she called to the men of her house. These are servants, okay, in the house. And she spoke to them saying, See, he, has, uh, he my husband, has brought in a Hebrew to us to mock us, and he came in to lie with me. The implication, to rape me. That's the implication in the Hebrew. And I cried out with a loud voice. Now, in the ancient Middle East, if a woman wants to make sure she can get off, okay, from being accused of participating in the rape, in other words, she's asking for it, the, the idea is to scream. This is not just in Israel, okay? This is the Middle East. So we have a Torah law. A little bit later on when we're getting into Leviticus, if a young woman screams... While she's being raped, she will be found not guilty. Okay? So there was a, uh, God even made that into a law. But that's across the Middle East. She screams. So she's telling the servants in their house, hey, I didn't want to participate in this. Um, and it came to pass when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried that he uh, left his garment with me and fled and went outside. And she laid up his garment by her until the Lord came home. Okay? That's her Lord. Well, her husband. Okay, I, that's interesting. And she spoke to him according to these words, saying, The Hebrew servant whom thou hast brought to us came in to me to mock me or to make sport with me. Now, this is interesting. To the servants in the house, she said, He came in to mock me, to make sport with me, and to lie with me or rape me. To the husband, she just says, To mock me. To make, never says, He came in to rape me. That's very interesting. So we'll stop there. Joseph is not killed. Attempted rape in Egypt, okay, is a capital offense. He should have been killed, but he's not. And so the question is, why? Well, we would say God. God is protecting this guy. He's going to be the savior of the world here shortly. But in the JPS Torah commentary, Dr. Sarna said, there's some possibilities here. One is, 
She, Mrs. Potiphar, told her husband that he was coming in to make fun of her, mock her, do something, but she had left off the idea of rape. So it could very well be that phrase, okay, convinced the husband, said, well, whatever he, whatever he did is not deserving of death. It's a possibility, okay? The Torah's silent, so Dr. Sarna is guessing, you know, and I trust Dr. Sarna. He's a brilliant Jewish scholar uh, who wrote uh, this version of the commentary. Uh, another possibility is, we don't know, okay, uh, but maybe Mr. Potiphar, okay, Padi Para, didn't trust his wife, okay? Now you take a look at the nuances of her. She's rich, she's at home, she's bored, okay? She's got everything she would ever ask, and she's got this hunk walking around 24-7 managing the entire household, okay? And it could very well be this has happened before. We don't know. Uh, but maybe, and again, Dr. Sarna is saying, maybe, we don't know, but that's a possibility. Or it could be a third reason. And that is, when you read the Torah, it's quite clear okay, that Joseph was promoted in Potiphar's house. He became a servant and he became, I mean, he ran everything. And so it could be that Mr. Potiphar was saying, man, this guy has been a valued servant and a valued slave. Look what he's done. I don't think I'm going to kill him. But we don't know. The good news is Joseph saved. Yay. <laughs> okay. But that's very interesting. Now, the age. He comes in at age 17. Is everybody clear on that? Right? This is important. You'll see later. So he comes in at 17. How old was he? when he's sent to prison. We have no idea. He's not 17. Because remember, he worked for a while, got promoted. Is he 18, 19, 20, 20? We don't know. But we know he's, he's older than 17. Keep that in mind. So he's put in the jail. We don't know what his age was. And he is sent to prison. Now, as I mentioned, one of our goals is that when we look at Joseph... Are we seeing Jesus? I'm not trying to say Joseph's life is identical to Jesus, but it's a paradigm. So we see that Joseph is the savior of the world. He is, okay, for the bread of earth. Jesus is the savior of the world for the bread from heaven. Now, those of you that have been with me since we started this, we've been going through the paradigm and the connections. For instance, remember when Joseph was sent by his father to his brothers and he came back with a bad report and then Jesus gives a bad report about the Pharisees? The, I mean, the, the, it is amazing when you go down the list. And again, Elahan ben Avraham wrote a brief book called Mashiach ben Yosef. And he is from Nativia uh, Ministries in Israel. Nativia is uh, the way of God, uh, the Lord's way. And this guy is a 100% Christian, call him a Messianic Jew. And he has got in-depth, the in-depth correlation um, with regards to Joseph and Jesus. Remember what Jesus said in John 5.39. All Torah, or the scriptures, testify of me. We're going to see this a lot. 
God seems to set up a paradigm. In other words, God is saying, do you want to know what my Savior is going to be like? Do you want to know what Messiah is going to be like? Look at Joseph. Joseph is the Savior of the world. My Messiah, me, God, I'll be the Savior of the world. Look at the correlation. So you'll recognize me when I'm here. Okay, the paradigm. You're going to see is when we get into Exodus and we start studying, well, the spring feast, because we will be doing that here. We'll be taking a look at that in depth, and we're going to see that Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Bikarim, there's three feasts. Jewish people call it Passover, but there's three of them, biblically, and Shavuot are one. And they're one paradigm, okay, of the gospel, or foreshadowing, because that's Paul, Colossians 2, 16, 17, and 18, someplace in there. Yeah, because Paul is saying that's a foreshadowing, and Jesus is the substance of the shadow, the shadow of Jesus over this. Joseph is a foreshadowing, yeah. So, with that paradigm, here's another little correlation. And the correlation is the following. I'm going to go into Elachan ben Avraham's book. And like I said, this guy's a Christian, and he's showing these connections. And the connections are amazing. So, Joseph, or Yosef, is falsely accused, but silent. When you take a look at Mr. Potiphar, when he comes home, he, Joseph does not say a word. No complaint, nothing. For his moral and spiritual integrity and refusal to compromise, Joseph was falsely accused and cast into prison. And, Elahan notes, there is no record here of Joseph opening his mouth in his own defense before his accusers. And then we jump to Matthew 27, 12 through 14. And it says, And when he was accused of the chief Konaim, the chief priest, and Zechanim, he answered nothing. Then Pilatus said unto him, Do you not hear how many things they witness against you? And he answered him not a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. And so all of a sudden we got that same thing again. Jesus kept silent. Okay, And again, we see this, and the rabbis first recognize this, not us. The rabbis are helping us to say, there are these paradigms. Okay, They even said, Joseph is going to be like the Messiah, the suffering Messiah. And they named him, the rabbis named him, in the 12th century, Mashiach ben Yosef, the Messiah, the son of Joseph, the suffering one. Okay, And then there will be Mashiach ben David, Messiah, the conquering one. And they named him because of that dual nature that they saw uh, in the Bible. Now, in Isaiah 53, 7 through 8, we find these words, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? So again, what we have is a very... I don't want to go through all of the correlation, okay? <laughs> like I said um, to this group uh, before we actually started a recording, uh, this Bible study is not comprehensive. There is no Bible study on the face of the earth on the Torah that can be comprehensive, none, okay? And so you'll have a Torah teacher come from one perspective, great, okay? Another Torah teacher or Bible teacher will come from another perspective. That's awesome. I'm coming from the four points that we have, which is a different perspective. 
because I'm always learning from others, and we all do that, okay? And so uh, even here, I cannot teach the correlation. I mean, there must be 80 of them in terms of Jesus and Joseph. It is amazing. There's no other character in the book like this. So Joseph, the Joseph uh, story, and here's another point that I want to make. It's not an allegory. It is not a fable. It's not a parable to teach about Jesus. It's a historical event. I'll show you why in just a little bit, okay? It has to be, because God uses it for one purpose. You want to know my Messiah? You want to know my Savior who's coming for the whole world? Look at Joseph. Joseph is like a paradigm, an example, a, a sample, okay? However, this is an historical event because it does another purpose a little bit later on. We'll come back to that. So it's not an allegory. It's God uses it in amazing ways. So getting back into the Torah, back to Genesis 39. I'm in verse 21 now, really at the end of 39. So Genesis 39, starting in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph. That's why he was saved. Okay, God is behind these events. Because God has a purpose for Joseph, quite definitely. And showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the officer of the prison. And the officer of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord made it prosper. So God was really with Joseph. And I want to bring up something here. And again, for us, there is a word that here in the, um, again, the Hebrew Bible I'm using is the Jerusalem Bible and the Hebrew scriptures from Koran Publishing. And uh, you probably have the same. King James is almost identical to this one. But it says, and God gave him favor. Now the Hebrew word there, I will give you the Strong's number, is H2580. And that Hebrew word is chen. Okay, chen. It's the ch, the chet. Okay, so it's chen. Uh, you might say ken. Okay, but if you say ken like that, that also means yes in Hebrew. Okay, so you got to go chen. That's the difference. Ken is yes, chen is favor or grace. When we come back to this, God gave him grace in the sight of the officer of the prison. Joseph was saved by grace. grace. Where's grace in the Old Testament? It's in Hebrew, chen. Okay, there's another word, chesed. That's another Hebrew word that's used for grace. There's two of them that are translated into the one English word grace. It's all over the place. And on top of that, Joseph... And in here, we're reading the verses. It does not say God, Elohim. That's the general word for God, Elohim. What it says here is Lord. And you know the word Lord. Many of you have taken my class. The word Lord, whether you have a Christian Bible or whether you have a Hebrew Bible, makes no difference. They all agree that the word Lord is a cover word, okay? Because the original Hebrew for Lord is his name, Yahweh. So the thing is, is that that's his name. And the Jewish people would say, 
we won't write his name. We won't say his name. We'll avoid it. And you say, why? Well, it's simple. God said, don't take my name in vain. So what do the rabbis say? Let's not say it. Let's call him Lord. Pretty good advice, okay? It's called building a fence around the Torah laws, okay? Don't even say his name. So we'll say Lord, okay? So they made up a word, and it's actually called Adonai. But it's interesting here, it says Yahweh saved him by grace. Our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of the Bible, okay? Saved Joseph by grace. And so again, we see Yahweh is a God who does not abandon us, and especially for all of us who are called according to his purpose. So now I'm looking at the New American Standard Bible going into the uh, New Testament. And one of my favorite verses, and I think one of the most important verses in the Bible, applies directly to Joseph. I want to show you this. This is amazing. Have you heard it said? I know I've, it's been said to me. I don't have to do the law. Okay, I've been saved by grace. Okay? Law, forget about it. I don't have to do anything. Okay? Really? What about stealing? Okay? That's in the Torah. That's in the law. Okay? You just can't know. You've been saved by grace, not by works, quite definitely. Hebrews believe that as well. Hang on. Okay? I'll show you what I mean. But uh, right now, Yahweh, our God, does not abandon us, and we're called according to his purpose. We remember this. Here's Paul teaching, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. For by grace, chen, okay, chen, his mercy, his favor, his grace, you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, this is interesting because I find it fascinating. I don't have to do those works. I don't have to do the law. I've been saved by grace. But it says in verse 10, because they stop at verse 9, okay? Go to verse 10. We are his workmanship in Christ Jesus prepared for to work. Good works. Not for our salvation. Not to prove our righteousness. This is what disciples do. We work like Jesus. Exactly, which means doing them, you know, doing those works. So, Joseph is saved by grace. Chen. On top of that, we know he's being prepared. There are works that he is going to be doing. He doesn't even know it yet. He's still in prison, right? But the thing is, he knows oh, he's saved by grace. He is not killed. He's now in prison. We know where this is going, okay? And again, this is not an allegory. Because God is really trying to get to us to show us what he's like. But let me show you something that's very important. And that's this. I'm going to be going back to the uh, Jerusalem Bible, Hebrew Scriptures. Notice what it says. Paul is saying, okay, that we're saved by grace, Joseph is, because he's being prepared by God for works. We know that. He doesn't know it yet. Okay. And it's the same thing for us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is the story of Joseph. That's Torah. That's not New Testament. That's not brand new. We're seeing it right here. God is consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, what's interesting is this statement. 
The statement is, works prepared beforehand so that you should walk in them. Now, a long time ago in semester one, I think that was two years ago, we were in Genesis chapter two. So I'm going to go to Genesis chapter two because this verse will come back to haunt us again and again and again. You know the verse. I'll read all three of them. This is Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their and a host or complement. And by the seventh day God had ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and performed. The rabbis, the Jewish rabbis, who are Torah experts and Christian teachers, who are Hebrew experts, will tell you we have a problem with verse 3. It is very difficult to translate. Sarna makes a comment on that. Dr. Kareed makes a comment on it. Dennis Prager, some of you know Dennis Prager as a national radio host. His life is dedicated to one thing and one thing only, teaching Torah. He's been doing this for 25 years, and I bought all of his Torah study, okay? He's the foundation for me. I pray for that man a lot. So Dennis, if you hear this on audio, if somehow you get this and you listen to your car, I'm praying that indeed you would see Jesus face to face soon, okay? Uh, so that you would see Torah fulfilled in your life. Anyway, here's an alternative way of saying the same thing. Because of the strange Hebrew here. So, it says, and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because and he rested from all his work which God had created and performed. Here's the alternative way, which is a valid translation. And most rabbis, okay, say this is probably the way God meant it. Listen. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because on it he ceased from creating all the work yet to be done. And you are his workmanship in Christ Jesus prepared to do good works that were prepared beforehand does paul know that it sure seems like he does in terms because this he's a scholar he speaks hebrew he speaks greek and so on so every one of us here he has works for you you're not going to be like me god forbid okay but some of you will teach I'm looking at my good friend Jerry back there and some of the things that he's doing with all the things that he's learning with his grandkids and everything else. And I bless you, man. I just love to hear all of the stories and the works that you're doing with this stuff. So again, what we see is the gospel. And again, one of our goals is to see Jesus here. We want to see, remember Acts 17? In Acts 17, remember the Berean Jews. Paul shows up in a place called Berea. And it's uh, in northern, northwestern, northeastern, north, north, northeast, yeah, northeastern Greece, at the top of the Aegean. And there he comes to Berea. These are all devout Jews, religious Jews. They don't know Jesus from Mickey Mouse. I'm serious. They haven't, I mean, Paul walks into town. They don't know who Paul is. So as a guest, Okay, they invite him probably to speak on the Shabbat, which he does, and he tells them about Jesus and the gospel. And they are pumped. 
I love reading that account. They are really excited. They said, Paul, this is, this is amazing. Could you come back next week? Because we want to check the scriptures. What scriptures? Torah. Torah. And they come back one week later. It's, it's, it's fun to read. And they said, everything you said was true. They saw the gospel here. They saw Jesus here. I would have loved to get the DVD of Paul's teaching that day. Oh, man, in Berea, that would just be awesome. So many believed when you read that. So again and again, uh, we say, we're saved by grace. I agree. So is Joseph. Guess who he saved by grace? Have you ever heard the fact that he saved a group of people by grace? Thousands of them. All at once, the Hebrews. They does not deserve it. We'll get there. He saved them by grace. Okay, amazing. So them, the Hebrews, Jewish people, they say we're saved by grace. Works of the law, the works that we do, that's just to make us pretty distinct being God's people. It doesn't guarantee our salvation. I heard this from a rabbi. A rabbi said this, and he said, guess how we're saved? This is outside of a Jewish shop when Rob and I were on a uh, tour. Matter of fact, it was part of my master's degree, and he was sitting on the car, and there were 40 of us gathered around the car. And he said, just want to let you know, ask me a question. How are Jews saved? So some student said, because we had a student from one of the colleges with us, and he said, Rabbi, how are you saved? By grace and by grace alone. We are not saved by the Torah. So I just wanted to let you know that. And he said, take that back to me. And he said, take that back to your Baptist preacher, you know. <laughs> so they know that. They agree with Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. They agree with it. Okay. So for us, we agree. But where does our salvation come from? Here's the difference. The cross. Basically, they say, uh, this is just a nutshell. They would say repentance has been invented by God in the Bible for the forgiveness of all sin. Now, that's a half-truth. Because we have to repent for our sins, right? But the price has been paid. We owe God. There's a penalty. Remember David? For an accessory to murder. Yes? But he said, I'm taking your son. How would you like to be forgiven like David? Oh, you've done this bad thing. Horrible, horrible thing. Just awful. <laughs> I'm going to kill your wife. That's what you owe me. That's it. Well, yeah, people say, well, God forgave David of that awful sin. Yeah, he took his son. Okay. But Jesus paid the entire price. We are everything. Our slate is clean. That's the difference. Okay. So, are we saved by grace and not by works? You better believe it. Joseph is a clear example. He did nothing that made him deserve to be rescued again and again. Joseph was saved by grace, preserved by God. But Joseph was chosen. Yes, saved by grace, but he was chosen for an awesome task. Awesome works planned by the Lord. Saved by grace and chosen to do works. 
So there are people who say, we're saved by grace. We don't have to do any works. We don't have to do anything like in the Old Testament anymore. It's just saved by grace, no works. That's true. But we really need to pay attention why we're saved by grace. That goes to Ephesians 2 in chapter 2. Oh, Ephesians chapter 2 in verses 8 through 10. Now, normally, people only read up to verse 9. The example is this. Starting in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, and not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And everybody stops there. But you need to continue on. Why are you saved by grace? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. We're saved by grace, and there are works that God expects us to do. Paul is only teaching Torah. All of Paul's teaching, matter of fact, is either Torah-based or it's the teachings coming directly from his rabbi. His rabbi is Yeshua, his rabbi is Jesus. Basically, for the most part, Paul is a Torah teacher. He's not teaching anything new. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, it's an awesome teaching from the life of Joseph. And all Israel, all Israel has been saved by grace. David saved by grace, Ruth saved by grace. We see this over and over and over again. It's a common motif of God's work with individuals in the Hebrew Scriptures. And so it's no wonder Paul is teaching Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. We're saved by grace, not by works. However, we're his workmanship because he's created for works, works for us to do. So this is part of our responsibility. Now in the next lesson, in Lesson 90... We're going to see archaeology come again to play a significant role. Dr. Ailing, one of my teachers in my master's program, in my master's in Bible history, wrote a superb book. It's entitled Egypt and Bible History. It's available on Amazon, Egypt and Bible History. Another book that I, I really say that if you indeed are a serious Bible student, quite definitely this is a book you need to have. So we're going to be seeing in Dr. Ealing's book about ancient Egyptian writing and how in ancient Egyptian writing gives us a lot of details and information about prisons and jails in ancient Egypt. And as we study and as we look at the ancient Egyptian text, it matches what we read in the Bible exactly about Joseph's experience in prison. It's, an, it's just another amazing proof of the veracity of God's word, the truth of God's word, the reliability of God's word, the trustworthiness of God's word. And we're going to be seeing some more connections obviously, of Joseph and Jesus. Joseph, the amazing paradigm of the coming Messiah.
And we'll remember in Luke 24:50 that Jesus lifted up his hands to bless his 120 disciples before he ascended the Father, just like the high priest daily lifts up his hands. It could very well be that Jesus blessed them with the ironic blessing. I've taken the ironic blessing and I've turned it into a prayer. I'd like to end our session with that blessing, that blessing that's based upon the high priestly blessing that God gave to Moses to Aaron to bless the people. Yevarekeinu Adonai Vishmarkenu, Yair Adonai Panava Alenu, Bekunikinu, Isa Adonai Panava Lenu, Viasem Lanu Shalom, Vishem Yeshua Adonenu, Amen. So together, let's say this in English. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us, and may he give us his shalom. In the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.